Hello, insiders. Good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is Eb oh, Wilkinson. We We're waiting for Bruce to come in. Hey, oh, Bruce, there you are. All right. Well, hello, insiders, and a pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash. None of my usual shtick opening today's uh, show. Um, over the past several days, as we know, uh, we've all been witness to one of the most disastrous series of events affecting our country's foreign policy in many years. This is a special show dedicated solely uh, to the unfolding mess in Afghanistan. We have two experts on Afghanistan and the Middle East. Our good friend, uh, Frank Antonori, who was on the ground in the mountains of Afghanistan starting in the late 1980s, training the Mujahideen before anyone else uh, was serving there. Uh, he was a Green Beret warfighter, and he came back again early after 9-11. Also joining us in studio was frequent Inside track contributor on national security and security, uh, excuse me, and strategic policy, retired U.S. Navy Captain Robert Wells, who served Vice President Dick Cheney as a special national security advisor. Eb is finally back, as we just heard from his extended assignment, not a moment too soon. Eb is a retired U.S. Marine aviator. Welcome back, Eb. Hey, Bruce, it's great to be back. Great. Uh, great to have you. Joining us now uh, on the Tucson Iron Metal Surplus Live Line from the swamp is Tommy Piggott, uh, who is part of the RNC Rapid Response Team. Hey, Eb, uh, see if you can curb your coughing, okay? Yeah, sorry, uh, Tommy, it, was, it was a rough life. <laughs> Tommy and his crew had been lighting it up this week. Tommy, thanks for joining us, and welcome to Inside Track. Thanks, thanks for having me. Hey, let's look at the events of the past week from a political standpoint and what it might mean in the midterms and beyond in the 2024 presidential election. Uh, yesterday's Biden press event, it wasn't a press conference, uh, but his press event sounded more like Baghdad Bob declaring that all was well, as we could hear, exploding coalition bombs in the background. There were many misstatements. The president uh, as you point out, falsely said there was no circumstance where American citizens have been blocked from the Kabul airport, despite numerous uh, uh, reports proving otherwise. Um, Eb, uh, excuse me, Tommy, is 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 he on the same planet as the rest of us? Well, I think that's the important question here, and it's kind of astonishing the contrast, especially between his promises that he made during the campaign and what we're witnessing. Um, right now on the ground. He promised he would lead the world. Instead, he's retreating in front of it. He promised he would be honest with the American people. And like you just pointed out, he has told lie after lie, or he just doesn't know what's going on in terms of what's happening in Afghanistan. And he promised to be competent. That was one of the things that he would say during the campaign. He'd say, you know, the adults will be back in charge if the Biden administration and his crew are ele were elected. And we're seeing time and time again that they've just made mistake after mistake. And I think those three pillars that kind of were central to his argument for his presidency are really crumbling right now. And even just looking at it from a political standpoint, I think that's going to have ramifications with the voters in 2022 and in 2020, uh, and then the re-election campaign 2024. Uh, Tommy, um, my co-host, Ed Wilkinson, has a couple of questions for you. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, Tommy, you quoted Jennifer Griffin from Fox News in your dispatch this morning on the president's presser yesterday, and she said, I couldn't fact check fast enough because there are so many misrepresentations of what's happening on the ground. Have you ever seen such a disarray in the White House? Maybe Carter? I, I, that's probably the best 
example, and so many just in, in my mind, so many of these images are, are reminiscent to Carter. I mean, we're, there's something like 52 Americans, if I have my number correctly, in the Iranian hostage crisis. Effectively, right now, we see something as many as 15,000 Americans that are, in a sense, being held hostage to the goodwill of the Taliban, the terrorist organization. So it, it really is, I've never seen anything like this. You, you see a president going out there. And, you know, when he's confronted on ABC a couple of days ago, says, you know, that was four or five days ago that we saw these scenes at the airport. Well, just this morning, you had a reporter from Sky News saying this is the worst day by far, by far. Uh, they should have had this done months ago when he announced the withdrawal in April, when he said it was going well back in July. It seems like the last thing they're doing is figuring out where Americans are when that should have been the first thing that they did when they were planning for this. Um, and I think the American people are seeing that because you're not, you're not just seeing it on Fox News either. You're seeing it on CNN. You're seeing it on MSNBC, places where the president usually gets his best coverage. And reporters on the ground are saying, look, what he's saying is the exact opposite of what's going on. And they can't even get it straight in their own administration, to your point, on chaos in the White House. The exact same time Biden was saying they, they don't have any reports, no instances they know about of Americans being blocked from the airport. His defense secretary is telling members of the House of Representatives that Americans are being beaten and harassed at the exact same time. So they're obviously not on the same page. It's, it's either, does Biden not know what's going on? Is he lying? Or is it just complete chaos? And none of those are really good options. Yeah, yesterday, uh, Joe said the Taliban was letting people through, uh, showing American passports. And today, it's reported that the Taliban is confiscating U.S. passports. I'm just waiting for somebody like Rob Reiner to come out and say, hey, we'll start a movie company, we'll send them on in, you know, a la Argo, but it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah, it, it really is a disaster. I mean, and there are concerning reports today that um, ISIS may attack the crowds now outside the airport, so that the U.S. Are, is being forced to try to find an alternative route to the airport. You see examples of the British and French going out and rescuing their citizens on the ground when the U.S. refuses to do that. You had Biden falsely saying that our allies weren't questioning our credibility at this press conference when ministers of parliament in the United Kingdom were standing up saying Biden should be ashamed of himself. When German, the, the incoming German prime minister was saying this is a direct hit on the credibility of the West. So I don't know what universe he's living in. And it really is just so counter, so counter to everything we're seeing on the, on the ground compared to what he's saying. So it just it kind of adds everything. It's worse and worse. Oh, yeah. To this that was a botched withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. To that point, Biden stated that any American that wants to come home will get you home. You know, he's taking a playbook from Obama. If you want your freedom, you can keep your freedom. The problem is the secretary of defense, Austin, stated that they could not guarantee safe passage for the Americans. He stated the military currently lacks the capacity to safely escort Americans in Kabul to the airport for evacuation. What a cluster. Exactly. And I think it's even more magnified, but if you think about Americans outside of the Capitol who are, are facing, so Americans in the Capitol can't get to the airport, but about Americans outside of the Capitol too? There is no plan at all for the, to, to rescue those Americans. And then from, you know, Biden saying, we'll, we'll get every American out that wants to get out. To your point, they, they have to get to the airport by themselves, but I think there's also another piece here that Biden is not really addressing. They don't know how many Americans are on the ground, but they also don't know how many Americans they've evacuated. They've been asked time and time again, they can say, 17,000 people. They've been asked to break that down. How many of those are Americans? They don't know the answer. So how can Biden make this promise that he's going to get every American out of Afghanistan that wants to get out when, one, he doesn't know how many Americans are in Afghanistan? Two, they don't know how many Americans they're evacuating from Afghanistan currently. And three, they can't guarantee that Americans can get to the airport securely. 
Um, and the, again, the American people are seeing this. That's why you have support for his foreign policy really dropping like a rock in terms of the latest polls, something down like 20 points in a month. And I think the American people are seeing it that, you know, what he's saying is just not lining up at all with what's happening on the ground. Well, to that point, who the hell's in charge at the White House right now? Well, I think that's, that's, that seems like a, a, an important question. Um, I mean, he was on vacation for days. He almost went back to Delaware this weekend. He did a last-minute change of plans when people started saying, hey, why are you going to Delaware? He decided to stay in the White House. But think about when President Trump was faced with crises. He goes out there and he took questions, and he stood in front of the American people, um, and he, he took critical questions from the press. But he would be out there for hours at a time. Joe Biden has been seen for something like 30 minutes in terms of the press corps since this crisis really began in earnest, just 30 minutes. And one of them, he just came back from Camp David for an 18-minute speech and then went back on vacation earlier in the week. I mean, it's, and then this last press conference, he took questions from a pre-approved list of reporters. I've never seen anything like it where a president is hiding during a crisis. He's hiding from the press. His cabinet seems on all different wavelengths, different pages. It seems like no one's in charge. And if someone is, they're doing a terrible job. So those are not two good options. And even when he's asked about the Afghans falling from the airplane, he responds with, heck, that was four or five days ago. <laughs> you mean, Bruce? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. his lack of empathy is kind of astonishing on it, that. It is. Bruce, let's get to the let's get to the politics of it, uh, Tommy. The vice president went to ground while her boss was nearly invisible, uh, but I almost laughed out loud when I heard Vice President Harris was planning a trip to Vietnam next week, which was the site of another ignominious uh, defeat for American foreign policy. You know, you really can't make this stuff up. Um, who who would make a decision like this for the for the vice president to go to Saigon? Um, during a time like this and, and, and on to Singapore. It kind of goes to the whole idea of, like, I don't know who would think that would be a good look, and goes to this whole idea of Biden's false claims. Again, he was saying, first he said this wouldn't happen back in July, right? He said, no circumstance you would see the U.S. Embassy evacuated. That was July 20th. Was yeah, July 20th. And um, now you had Biden saying it was all priced in in his ABC interview this week. So if they priced it in, think about how they priced in Harris going to Vietnam during this week, if they knew this would happen, him going on vacation. There's really, it just kind of makes things worse and worse. Um, I, I'm not, I don't really know how they could have done this by accident any worse. It seems like they plan to make it the worst possible optics, but more importantly, the worst possible outcome, especially for those Americans that are, are trapped on the ground right now. Democrat House and Senate leaders have been practically incommunicado all week, even AOC and her squad. The president uh, was going back to Delaware, as you said, you know, trying to hide from the press again. Uh, he hasn't spoken to our uh, NATO ally uh, partners. Um, uh, his polling numbers are down close to 30 points. What does all of this mean? I, I'm not talking about the election right, right this second. What does this mean to the Democrats' mind-boggling pending New Green Deal legislation and their budget that they're trying to uh, cram through Congress, do you think? Well, I think it, it, I, the ultimate point, I think, is the, in terms of how that relates to that legislation, is the huge blow that this does to Joe Biden's credibility. I think there's a lot of Americans that kind of had a hard time believing that he was basically pushing a socialist agenda because for years he was a moderate Democrat. If you went back, you know, starting in the 1970s, he was this moderate Democrat. And so I think a lot of Americans thought, you know, when he says that this is not a radical agenda, I believe him. But 
he's lost so much of that credibility. He has just said things that weren't true. And even if he does believe it, the impacts of this legislation, I think it goes back to the, how, many, how wrong he's been. So every time he makes a promise now, every time he makes a prediction, anytime he says anything, people need to double check that. And I think people are. And so I think once, once a political leader loses trust and loses the ability to, to, to project things confidently, that has an impact on in everything, including his Green New Deal agenda and his domestic agenda. Hey, Tommy, thanks for joining us today. Your team and yourself are on fire. Uh, keep up what you're doing and come back and see us uh, soon, all of the listeners. Uh, you can get Tommy's dispatches at GOP.com or subscribe to RNC War Room. Uh, I do, and I have a wealth of information that comes into my uh, laptop computer every day. Uh, thanks again, Tommy. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks, Tommy. You bet. So this portion of Inside Track has been brought to you by my co-host, Eb Wilkinson, and his partner, Gary Imus from Imus Wilkinson Investment Management whose baby steps approach to your wealth management is designed so you never have to solely depend on social security. Call Ebb at 777-1911 and let him help you also. Other portions of today's show are also brought to you by our friends Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus today or Monday at 520-209-1576. It's a little out of the way, but well worth the trip, Eb. And a big shout out to Eric Rudin and his professional team at Essential Pest. Summer rains mean more critters and vermin threatening your home or business. There is no better pest control company in our area. Bruce uses them. I use them. Call Essential Pros at 520-886-3029. Both Bruce and I depend on them, and so should you. Bruce. Now on to our uh, in-studio guests, uh, retired Navy Captain Robert Wells and Frank Antonori. Um, before we talk about what, wrong, what went wrong, fellas, um, let's take a pause like Gene Kranz did when Apollo 13 exploded halfway to the moon to figure out the following. The question that Gene might have asked was, what's right with the space, what what's right with the spacecraft to get our people and the Afghani friends that we have home to us again. I want to start with uh, Frank. You have some uh, more uh, Afghanistan experience uh, uh, in the tip of your fifth digit than most strategists do working today in the White House, the Pentagon, or the State Department. So I'll pose that question to you first. Hey, Bruce, before we do that, I'm getting the uh, sign from uh our producer Tom, that we need to go to a break, or we're going to be no. In... We're not going. To, oh, we we're are? not going to break today. We're okay. not going to break. Oh, bad news, Tom. Mm. He's hiding under the desk now. Frank, sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Eb. Uh, Bruce, um, what what's right with the ship? Uh, you you have a lot of capability uh, pre-deployed and pre-positioned over there that could easily go in there and solve this problem. Um, you know the, the the guys on the ground, the the, the war fighters. Let's say the the colonel level and below guys uh, possess the capability to go in there and deal with this problem. You know, you, uh, earlier you guys mentioned the Brits and the French are doing the same thing. Um, between we have Marine Expeditionary units over there. We got the eighty uh, second uh, Airborne uh, Ready Brigade has been deployed over there. We've got uh, special operations units that are still in country uh, that are on the ground there that could do all this stuff. Uh, it's just that the, the leadership to allow them to do that is is the problem. So so we have the capability. We have the, the most powerful military force on the planet 
Uh, it's just that we don't know how to properly apply it. That's the problem. Bob, I'll pose the same question to you. What's right with the spacecraft to help get our people back home safely? I think we have a tremendous uh, capability in our our military organization, as Frank just mentioned. And I, I look at not only what's already on the ground, but also what could be planned to be on the ground. We have a mission, and that mission has been very clearly put forward by uh, General Milley as well as uh, Secretary of Defense Austin with regard to a non-combatant evacuation operation. We have a lot of options with regard to the territory surrounding Kabul as well as looking out toward uh, Bagram again. Uh, we know Afghanistan. We've been there for 20 years. There's a political situation that has changed dramatically in the last 11 days, as uh, everyone knows. But we have to see the mission through. We have to basically, as you mentioned, Bruce, uh, what's right with the spacecraft? We still have posture. We still have presence there at KIA, the uh, Karzai International Airport. We still have the military piece there. We have overwatch uh, with regard to capability around uh uh, Kabul. We have uh, discussions with the uh, Taliban. Uh, we may not like the composition of the Taliban shuras that are assuming power, but uh, we do have uh, the return of uh, Baladar, who is a Kandahari that uh, we help release from Pakistan. Also, Mullah Habitullah, who is also a Kandaharian uh, that is part of the power structure. And I think most interesting uh, with the political military discussions between the United States and the Taliban leadership is former President Ghani's brother. Uh, Ghani's, Ghani's brother is there, and uh, I would say that uh, they have a challenge, as General Petraeus mentioned today in the Wall Street Journal, of governing Afghanistan. And uh, this is more territory than they've ever achieved before, and they have the same challenges to centripetal and centripetal forces in Afghanistan with regard to tribal affiliation, and as uh, Winston Churchill and, and also Henry Kissinger uh, once, once noted, nothing is ever permanent or nothing is ever forgotten in Afghanistan. So there's, there's a lot of, lot of challenge there. But I do think uh, our planners in the Pentagon are working at, on courses of action. It may involve uh, actually going back in in a couple other areas. And finally, uh, there's some thought on a joint NATO force uh, looking at the French and the British uh, participation there but we need to save lives we need to think about all the people that helped us there is 20,000 to 70,000 special immigrant visas that are expected but as Eb mentioned we don't know where everybody is and that particular piecing together of the mosaic is one of the most important things with regard to planning yeah, it's not just where everybody is but who everybody is I yes. mean first of all there are Afghani people, the U.S. citizens that yes. are Afghanis that went over there for whatever reason and now can't get home. Number one. Number two, there was a report that uh, tons of blank passports were printed up, or not passports, but, you know, passes to bring Afghanis in. What are the chances that we've got uh, the Taliban coming here to the U.S. on those, on those freedom flights? That's, uh, as... Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld would say that's an unknown unknown. Okay. Uh, cer certainly understanding that that possibility and that risk could be there. But uh, I, I think that's looking at the number of folks that have been uh, returned or retroed into uh, the different locations like Qatar. Uh, we do have to have a uh, due diligence in trying to f 
affirm uh, loyalties before they're they're basically flown off to other countries or even into the United States. So, question for both of you: Was what happened this week preventable, inevitable, or how did it happen? Well, it was it was definitely preventable. Um, let's just say shortly after Biden made the announcement of the accelerated withdrawal back in April. The Taliban started killing key Afghan commanders, Afghan National Army commanders, or bribing key Af- bakshish, as they said over there. Uh, they would tell these guys, you got a choice. We're going to kill you, or you can take the money, uh, abandon your, your post, abandon your equipment, tell your men not to fight, and you can leave the country without getting your head cut off. We knew that. Uh, the assets on the ground, the intelligence sources, and these were highly rated sources like A1, A2, you know, B1, B2 sources that we knew uh, very well because, like Bob said, we've been there for 20 years and we, we had very well-established intelligence uh, entities within the Taliban that were feeding us intel. And these guys were telling us in May that this was going on, that they were pre-positioning weapons and arms, that they were moving on these provincial capitals, that they were... We knew this was coming. So when the president says there was co- conflicting intelligence, I have a hard time buying that. I have a hard time buying that, and I, I believe that the intelligence that they were receiving wasn't the, poli- the politically expedient intelligence that they wanted. So they weren't happy with the intelligence they were getting. So they, they, like true Americans, we try to change the narrative instead of what the reality is on the ground, and it bit them in the rear end. And now we're suffering the consequences because the political guys could not accept the fact that their great little plan was not going to go off as, off as planned. Precisely. In fact, uh, Frank's uh, key points with regard to delusion and what is real uh, came through loud and clear by former uh, National Security Advisor McMaster. General McMaster wrote a very important uh, perceptive piece looking at what was really happening on the ground in Afghanistan and that the Taliban had a vote. And regardless of our political end date, we really missed the end state. And that was a fundamental looking at what was really happening. All those regional capitals, uh, General Milley also briefed it in July, you know, as, as, the, as the continued march uh, into Kunduz and Ghazni and Herat and Jalalabad and Masri Sharif. All these regional capitals were fundamentally key to central government authority and credibility uh, with the Ghani presidency. Even President Ghani was caught short. Even President Ghani was caught by surprise. It happened so quickly. Uh, as you know, the real key point though is the enemy always has a vote. The Taliban uh, got the signal in April, and uh, the communication in terms of partner communication with NATO, with our key allies, with regional countries, and in, in particular India and Pakistan, with regard to the United States intent, and then looking at as President Trump actually mentioned uh, previously last week. The uh, end state and conditions-based withdrawal of American forces, and you had this particular option available to the to the administration, and they chose not to take it. Bottom line is, President Biden, as Commander in Chief, owns this. He basically hook, line, and sinker. He he basically understood the risks, and he was looking at uh, fulfilling uh, his particular promise. The American people don't like wars, but the American people also like stability and good planning and and looking after people because those are our values we're not going to just cut and run so that falls under the americans hate a loser and they love a winner absolutely <laughs> okay so now with all this going on biden's getting all well somebody at the white house is getting all this intelligence that says we're looking at a major storm mm-hmm. here coming up 
and this is untenable. Aside from the fact that they wanted to achieve the pullout, why did they not listen to this intelligence when they realized this thing's going downhill quickly? I, I, that's the million-dollar question. I, I mean, I can't understand it. It's like they got hit in the head like ten times with a brick. You know that this was that this was going to go down. The CIA provided fourteen thousand names to the State Department to tell them here are the people that we believe uh, need to be evacuated because they assisted us during the twenty years we were there. These fourteen thousand Afghan interpreters and intelligence gatherers and agents and what we had. They provided that to them back in July. They had this list a month and a half ago, and they did, they just sat on it. Why didn't they execute the neo, uh, you know, back then and start pulling people before they pulled everybody out of Bagram? Before they should have been evacuating Americans six weeks ago. Explain to our listeners what a neo is. It's a non-combatant emergency evacuation operation, and it's usually set up uh, like we used to have it, like in Korea, for example, in case North Korea invaded. There was a plan to create enough of a delay uh, of a, Cre- a North Korean advance in order to get all Americans evacuated in country to get them out. So something similar to that should have been done in Afghanistan. There should have been forces on the ground to create enough of a delay to allow the civilian and non-combatants uh, within the, that theater to be evacuated. And, and it's astonishing to me why they pulled the military out before... They pulled out the non-combatants. I just I, I can't grasp the, the concept. You know, you're looking at 15,000 people. Here's what that is in perspective. That's 18 days of uh, Mexicans crossing the border in Texas being apprehended. Not just the getaways. That's the ones that are apprehended. That It, it sounds like a lot of people, but it really isn't, especially if it's planned properly. Yeah. Bob. I was going to say, in terms of planning process, it's a prioritization. Uh, looking at Afghanistan, is it really a national security uh, top priority on the leaderboard? You know, you look at our national security strategy, we're focused on, you know, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. This, this terrorism mission, if we assume that the government of Afghanistan and all the different uh, capability that our forces have, have truly built, and by the way, the Afghani military did fight for us. They did suffer ex- extraordinary losses. They allowed us to actually to draw down. But I would say from my personal experience in the White House, sitting around the table, looking across and, and watching Mr. Rumsfeld, watching Condi Rice, watching uh, General Powell, they are very serious policymakers and their information the radar the tv that they actually get their informed opinion is always started off with an intelligence briefing those intelligence briefings for this national security uh, council should have been very profound and should have basically telegraphed just those key points that frank was making i you know i spent a lot of time in the middle east uh whether it's iraq afghanistan north africa i've dealt with uh um a lot of different operations other than war, too. And I had at my disposal unbelievable amounts of intelligence resources, whether it was signal intelligence, information intelligence. Human. Uh, yeah, yeah, human intelligence, uh, imagery intelligence. You know, I remember planning missions out uh, in, in detail, particularly when we were going after certain people in Afghanistan. And I had predator drones flying over my shoulder. I was getting rover feeds down into me, seeing, showing me what's up ahead of me. We have unbelievable assets. I cannot buy this story 
that oh well the intel wasn't there the intel that that may have been the case a hundred years ago but now with the resources and the assets we have especially the the cia cia developed so many human uh resources in that country to provide us intelligence i just find it fascinating that they think that there was a conflict of intelligence that there wasn't accurate information coming in i don't what what are rover feeds uh it's just the video imagery from the predators so uh we had uh links in our vehicles in our humvees where we could look at the screen and we have our guardian angel rover or sometimes an mc-130 gunship that would feed the video to us so we could see what's in front of us and this is live intel right then you're not not looking at you've seen it on tom in tom clancy yeah you're not looking at half hour delays you're looking at microsecond delays we had general hagenbach who was the the (laughs) commander at the time in north northern iraq Literally on the radio with my team leader, my captain, telling him, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, while we're driving down the road. I mean, that capability is there. The stuff you see in the movies, some of it's exaggerated, but largely that, that But not by much. No, that capability exists. And, and that's why I just, I have a hard time grasping that this, this was such a blind thing that they could not see this coming. I don't buy it one bit. Okay, so here's another question for you. Yeah. Now, coming from the Marine Corps side of the house, yeah. I've got different views, but... If we had to evacuate, regardless of when we did that in the process of this whole thing, how hard is it to not leave that equipment behind or at least not leave that equipment behind in operational condition? Yeah, that's the other. I don't even want to go into that. Uh, I mean, working in the U.S. Who made that decision to leave all that, you know, how many, 68 million tons of material, you know, 4,000 freaking uh vehicles and stuff parked in parking lots outside bagger Airfield. i mean i what i don't get the rationale well, even think- working in the u.s we had the ability to destroy sensitive right, information and if, you, and- if you did that why not just carpet bomb the place why why not you know bring Which in a bunch of up another B-52s out of diego garcia and just flatten Bagram and all the equipment that you left you've got I, the I embassy understand. you've got the embassy which is now in taliban hands you've yeah. got the head the 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 capital which is now in taliban hands and by the way nancy nancy pelosi that's what an invasion of the capital yeah. looks like not what you saw on January 6th. I'm not defending what happened and, on January 6th. And the Taliban right now are taking all these advanced weapons, these these Scan Eagle drones, these thermal weapons sites, all that stuff is being shipped to Iran. Iran and China. As we speak, so they can take it apart and reverse engineer it. What a, what a, what a, oh my God. I just, I don't know what to say. I well, I was going to, how could it happen though? I think sincerely, you give a signal, uh, especially from the White House, when you talk about dates. And if you think about the decision that the president had to make, uh, originally uh, they were looking at a May because you had Zal Kahala. Right, mid-May. Mid-May turnover, looking at a peace process, which was established, conditions-based. It didn't bear fruit. So the president had a a really fundamental decision to make, either create a new deadline date, we're still pulling out, and or make it a conditions-based, have a reasonable posture to support the political establishment in Kabul, and then also support the Afghanistan army. We assumed that the As- Afghanistan army, uh, especially special forces, they're still they're yeah. still uh, uh, consolidated, especially up in the north. But uh, the Afghanistan special forces are still there. Some of the air force pilots flew their aircraft into Uzbekistan. But it gets back into uh, Eb, uh, you know, the end end state, you know. What is our end state? We want a stable Afghanistan. We want a friendly government in Afghanistan. We want to support internationally the development and the goals of our original nation building, uh, which 
General Petraeus was involved with and had a strategy, by the way, or do you have an end date? And I think once that signal got up, that's where the Taliban had their strategy and they looked at their regional strategy. If you if you go back and look at the timing of everything sure, uh, and what communications capability they had as a, as a force, uh, this is a very, very important observation. And unlike Biden, when Trump was talking with the Taliban, he said, let me start off by telling you, if any of our Americans are harmed, if anybody comes under any uh, harm whatsoever, we will bring the mighty force of the United States down on you. Do we have that understanding? When they said, yes, this is great, now we can start negotiating. That's correct. And and you have a different political culture, though, yep. in, in policy. And if you look at uh, risk and where we would take risk, uh, sometimes if you have a particular culture, and it's very idealistic, and I get back to Mr. McMaster's delusion. You're thinking of Wilsonian uh, sta- standards versus real politic right. uh, like Henry Kissinger and, and what the what the consideration should be for diplomacy and for policy, that's the real difference. Okay, so with that being said, uh, how does America and our allies still prevent a Pol Pot type of genocide in Afghanistan? Or is the best we can do is exfil as many of our Afghan allies out of the country? I think that's the latter's the option that we, we got, we're, we're stuck with. Um, obviously, we've demonstrated uh, to the international community that we don't have the will to no longer stay to provide that stability so you don't have this mass genocide in there. Uh, we are, I've, I've seen reports that the Taliban have lists and of names of everyone that have been supporting and assisting, even truck drivers bringing supplies to military bases. They know who all of these guys are. Um, and they're going door to door. Yeah, to think, to think that they're not going to clean this, uh, this purge uh, of that from their ranks is nothing. And then now you have uh, the what was the remnants of the Northern Alliance now with, with um, uh, reconstituting in the north. Uh, you know, they're going to go after those guys because they, they tried to go after uh, Dotson, uh, who I knew personally. I actually worked with General Dotson on the ground in Afghanistan during the early days. We did several operations together. They, they, he, luckily, he was able to get out of the country, but they were going after him. They knew guys like that have to be taken out because that was the guy, th- those guys that allowed us uh, to come back in and work and, and take over the country so quickly because we had that support from these local uh, warlords slash leaders, they're going to go. They're going to purge those guys. They're going to go get rid of every single one of them. And there's nothing we're going to do about it. And what, we could do something about it, but we are not going to. do And something what about does it. that say to our future in countries like Afghanistan, where we ever have a chance to go back in to help at all? I mean, these people are going to be saying, "How do we even trust right. that you're going to have our back?" Even though you say, "I mean, you're only here for four years. Who knows what the next administration is going to say?" Right. Well, that's yep. a problem with credibility, and that's uh, basically our moral authority, and that is that is what's been really uh, taken taken a hit. Uh, we still have moral authority, but we have to work harder to uh, reestablish it. I also think that the United States cannot be ambivalent with regard to Afghanistan, and if we're truly to what do you, what do you mean by that? I mean that we can't have this one single mission, the non-combatant evacuation mission. We have to, as Dwight Eisenhower said, if you have a real challenge, and if you're really dedicated to actually uh, the values that we stand for, you have to enlarge it. You have to develop capability. I would argue that you're going to have uh, growth in U.S. force posture. You may have uh, different capabilities that are developed. You have to coordinate with your 
since since the original Afghan mission is an ISAF mission. It's a NATO mission. The United States was a key enabler of that particular mission. So we, I would expect, uh, you know, steadfast communications with NATO, looking at uh, just as the UK and the French have done, and the Australians, I would say, I would say the Indians are also part of it as well. But I think I think you'll see an enlargement of the mission, not just the United States, but it'll have to be American-led. Uh, and I, I think, obviously, the Secretary of Defense uh, sees the options. And back to the what's right with the spacecraft, we do have tremendous planning capability. We have tremendous surveillance capability. We have the greatest uh, soldiers in the world. They they want they don't want this to to basically conclude like this. So it it's going to be Afghanistan is going to be around, and we're not just going to pull out. We are going to have to grow the mission, and we are going to have to have different posture to have political leverage with the Taliban because they don't have any money, they don't have any uh, logistic uh, support. They have their own. Uh, See now, I heard different on the money. I heard they have. They're they're awash in cash right now, even though the United States went and you know clamped down yeah, on the billions. I, the IMF and the billions and the U.S. direct uh, <laughs> support, but it gets into U.S. as a superpower not being ambivalent, working with China, looking at the risk to China with regard to the the the, uh, the Uyghurs in Xinjiang province, looking at the risk to India, looking at the risk to Russia, to the uh, former Soviet Union states, the stands, uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, you know. Uh, these are these are key considerations. We just need to elevate Afghanistan. Uh, this is Kissinger's postulate with regard to regional stability in this particular part of the world and unite and have the U.S. lead. Uh, but if we're if we're going to have this particular political culture and this commander in chief uh, not take the options aboard, that's where that's where the United States is, and he has to he has to have uh, more articulate. Uh, communication with the American people, which are always the foundation for foreign policy, so that we say yes, that we want to take care of people. This whole disaster seems like it was planned, you know, on on the Biden side. I mean, you know, it, it's not that he didn't see what's coming. It almost looks as like he led it or directed it to happen. I, I wouldn't go that far. I just I, I just think that they didn't believe it was going to go down this way. I think they had some cushy kumbaya uh, idea that this was all going to go according to plan. And, After they got know, out of their you know, drum like, beating well, session, the bad guys get a vote. You know that's 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 an old saying that's been around for sure. as long as I was in the army, and that that that's what I think they did. It, it, I think it was just ineptness and stupidity. Uh, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't have any belief that it was a deliberate effort uh, to to do this. I just think they screwed up. They just they just didn't want to believe the reality. I have to go back to the the you know the character of the president and also his national security team, in particular Secretary of State Blinken. Now, Mr. Blinken has been the national security advisor to Joe Biden, and if you look back to the Obama administration, the last right. time we had the surge. And Mr. Obama is saying we need to basically shore up the good war, Afghanistan, and diminish the capability in Iraq, the bad war, which brought up ISIS. And this is this is a key moment to look at the assumptions that were made back in 2014 with regard to strengthening Afghanistan with our surge in order to enable uh, Petraeus and the... Uh, the Afghani government to basically build new capabilities since Afghanistan has never been uh, a strong central government 
uh, regime. It's always, you know, right. sub ethnic uh, Kandahar, Mazari, Sarif, well, yeah, the Tajiks, so, you have Tajiks, the Uzbeks, yes. you have the Pashtuns, you know, you got you, you have so many tribes over there and they're all regionally divided in, into the major regions over there. You that's why uh, a, a central government is going to be very difficult uh, and it's proved to be difficult in in Afghanistan. It was similar with the challenges in Iraq, although it weren't it wasn't as significant because you had the Kurds, you had the Shia, uh, you had all these different factions as well, but that, that, that part of the world, again, I have spent so much time over there, and the thing that irritates me is I have gone back multiple times to fix the same problem twice. I mean, I was in Afghanistan in the late 80s. I ended up going back again in 2001, 2002, 2003. You know, I went in during Desert Storm. I, you know, we went in, and then as we, I remember my A-team, we were driving out of Kuwait back to Saudi Arabia, and this would have been probably May, June of, of 1991. And we were all taking bets how long it would be before we'd be back over here fighting this war again. And given, basically fighting for the same dirt twice. And, and that's my worry. I have a son now that's a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army. He's a Cav Scout. Okay. I have a worry that in three to four years, my kid's going back into Afghanistan to fight for the same dirt that I had to fight for back in 2001 and 2002. That's my concern. My my experience, uh, I was offshore. I had command of an Aegis cruiser. I was the air defense commander. This was after we were trying to locate with the special forces on the ground uh, in the mountain regions there in the Hindu Kush or south of that, uh, supporting Operation Enduring Freedom. And then I serve in the White House right after that. One of the key fundamentals here from President Bush was that he said that the United States was not going to take another hit. And we were focused on, obviously, defeating al-Qaeda, finding Osama bin Laden there. But the fundamental principle at work, and it's still at work here in Afghanistan, alternately governed or ungoverned territories where you could have these these al-Qaeda-like or ISIS-K or Haqqani network capabilities which have uh, loyalty to violence against the West. They're against modernity. They're against rights of women. They're against what we're trying to actually work with universally uh, from the West. So I think uh, the fact that our armed forces, we have a 20-year anniversary coming up on 9-11, and uh, Enduring Freedom was the mission, and the goal was to basically not have ungoverned territories. That's why the Taliban got pushed out, threatened the United States of America or Europe, and that's a very big consideration, not just the West, but also China, India, Pakistan. Pakistan is... uh, has always been right in the middle. Uh, obviously, yeah, they, unfortunately, uh, they've been sticking their nose in where it yeah. doesn't belong most of the time. Pashtun and Haqqani, yeah, when, and Kazakhstan, and Pakistan. When, when we when we chased the Russians uh, out of Afghanistan in uh, would have been February of 1989, when they finally finally left, the, the the Pakistani government came in and backed the Taliban. When the fight began, after uh, all these different tribes that we were working with and training and providing weapons to to fight the Russians were all united because their common foe was the Russians. The minute the Russians left, they all started infighting, and then for some crazy reason, the Pakistanis sided with the Taliban and they helped them, and that's why they ended up rising to power, because the Pakis helped them. And we pulled out. We, we, we cut off all immediately lethal aid. We provided humanitarian aid, but I was lethal aid. That's what right. my job was. They pulled us out. 
they said, no, you're not going to support, you're not going to provide any training or, or anything to the Mujahideen. You guys are done, out, right? And that was in the famous line in the movie, uh, you, you know, Charlie Wilson's War. You know, yeah. we, we did everything right, and we and in the end, we screwed up the end game because we didn't we didn't do that transition. That one last thing for me is uh, this this forever war stuff irritates the living crap out of me. This is a bunch of horse crap. Okay, and and I understand Trump like that. Nice, you know, we don't want to get into these forever wars. Let me tell you what I, I I've been on the ground in Korea. I was on the DMZ in Korea. I wasn't there when it was built, um, but I was there. My son went to Korea. He spent a a year on the DMZ in the Second in- Infantry Division. Gee, when was that war? 1952, 1953, and we're still there. Right. We still have troops in Japan. We still have troops in Germany. And what's the common thing about all those countries right now? There's we peace. still have troops in Europe. There's peace there. There is stability there because we had a U.S. presence there. Once we go in, the famous Colin Powell quote, you break it, you own it, right? We we should have made that commitment. And and this this thing, and I and I, I, I support, you know, Trump's mindset that we don't want to be killing Americans and American servicemen for no reason. But once you've done it, once you've gone in there and you've made that decision, you've got the responsibility to, to do that. And we were making progress. And then to just suddenly shut this down, I think that was the huge tactical error i i just can't believe we did that and 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 it, it just makes no sense to me because we've done this before right the marshall plan right afterwards you know where we rebuilt europe and that that has been demonstrated i'm not saying we should be in the, the nation building business i'm just saying we should be in the stability business as well right if you're going to go in there and you're going to you know take a country down the next thing you got to do is provide that stability and help them maybe build their own country back but but to just pull out and and let that vacuum occur and then this is what happens that's that's just the frustrating thing for me i mean and i don't buy that excuse that oh forever we, we we've got troops all over the planet from previous conflicts and nobody seems to be crying how come we're not pulling our troops out of south korea how come we're not pulling everybody you know why you know, we, we want those bases there, too. And we had Bagram Air Base would have been an unbelievably strategic oh asset my gosh, yeah. in the region. And we gave that up. I, I, just, I just don't. The logic. I just I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know what, what people are thinking. Nobody went to the war college. You know, that's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't understand the logic. That assumption, look, looking at uh, the Overwatch itself and the decision that was made to move the USS Ronald Reagan. If China is your concern with regard to deterrence, you move your only aircraft carrier out of Japan to do presence missions outside of Pakistan so you had close air support. The other to- other thing, too, is Mr. Biden was in Europe. He talked with Mr. Putin. We were trying to socialize uh, Uzbekistan or basing for close air support, and the Russians told us no. So because of that, we should have held on to Bagram. Yep. We should have worked with the government of uh, President Ghani to have that protocol so that we would reduce risk and maintain stability in Afghanistan. Is uh, Afghanistan worse off now than it was 20 years ago? It, it's, in better shape. it's in better shape now than what I would say pre-9-11. Um, but I don't know how long that's going to last. It's going to, you know, August 31st, the Taliban say they're officially in charge. They have put that date out and they are going to impose Sharia law uh, and and they're going to have these tri- tribunals and they're going to have sheriffs out there doing Sharia law enforcement. And the girls who have enjoyed 20 years of going to school uh, right now are not going to have that privilege after Oct- August 31st. That's all going to be gone. If anybody thinks the Taliban isn't going to implement the same draconian rules that they had pre 9-11 is, is crazy. They're going to. 
They're, they just can't help themselves. So, so you're going to have all these advances that occurred uh, on August 31st. They're going to all start to go away, and it won't take long for them to revert back to the same place it was, I would say, back in what would be August of, of 2001. We've pretty much dominated this uh, conversation. Bruce, are you still there? <laughs> yeah, I still am. And it's been a great conversation. And, you know, it, it occurs to me that there's no other show in Tucson or Southern Arizona that could have a discussion like this at the high level that this conversation has been conducted without commercials. Uh, and I apologize to callers who I know have been calling in trying to talk with the participants. Uh, but it was I think it was very important to me personally that we get this out uh, because we hear so much from from so-called experts who know about stuff. Well, we have two probably amongst the best of the experts anywhere in this country uh, talking here today. I, I do have uh, maybe it's a in question. studio. Yeah, right here. Um, and, and so I have a, maybe, uh, fellas, uh, a question as well as a comment. But uh, General uh, Milley, uh, SecDef Austin, and plenty of military leaders have testified about white rage and critical race theory before Congress. Uh, they, they have overseen now a failed turnover. It seems to me these guys couldn't organize a two-car funeral procession. Um, are these the sort of warfighter leaders we can trust to protect the security of the homeland and American interest abroad in the future. And gentlemen, we have four minutes. Okay, I'll, let you, I'll let you take that one. I think because we have a current mission that we have to, we have to basically achieve that mission. And uh, General Austin is a former CENTCOM commander. He's a very capable uh, leader. Uh, General Milley also was force calm. He's been in Afghanistan. General Milley also stood up for the Afghanis during this national security process. Um, if anything, with regard to the future, I would really look at the Secretary of State because state has the pen. They have the policy responsibilities. That's where I would look in terms of advocating uh, the best advice to the president so he can make a foreign policy decision. Uh, civilian leadership is fundamental, and Mr. Austin and General Milley, uh, or advising uh, the, the woke discussions. Uh, my professional reading was focused on General MacArthur and looking at uh, strategy by Clausewitz. Uh, I didn't think about that kind of stuff. So when when I went to the Q course, uh, once we went into what was then called Phase Two, after you did the initial Phase One, which was the the f basic skills slash field training phase, they made us read Sun Tzu Art of War. Yeah. They made every single one of us read that. And somebody forgot to tell a lot of people to reread that book. I mean, that, that that's something that I think needs to happen. With respect to... And that's uh, on the required reading list for Marine officers. It, it's, every military school that I ever attended or know of anybody attended that's on the, on the mandatory reading book. But as an unconventional warrior... Uh, that's why they had us read is because that's what we did. You know, our, our world our world was with either uh, supporting insurgencies or fighting against insurgencies. We were either on one one side or the other, and and insurgencies are very difficult to to deal with. You know, the advantages on the side of the insurgents, and we used to be really good at going into countries and causing causing problems. But but you know the the problem the problem I have is, uh, you know, they used to say in the army the last 
rank you make based on your skills of you know which is your warrior skills your battlefield skills is colonel which in the navy would be captain right once you become a general you're a political animal now and that that's the that's the challenge right you have all these great battlefield commanders out there you know captain and below or colonel and below that understand this situation because they've been there and a lot of these guys should be you know considered to be moved into certain positions i think up in the pentagon and, and moving forward but unfortunately they're not uh, the battlefield commanders have a different persona and that persona does not necessarily translate well into the general officer corps and <laughs> that, tea that, parties. that is a problem and i and, and 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 i see that with the bureaucratic military that's been developed that those kind of leaders are the guys you need in those positions but they're not making it there because they haven't developed the political skills and that's a sad reality well fellas i'm i'm going to make a political prediction and it is that uh this and the uh, vaccination and the whole covid uh mess uh that biden and his crowd have also created uh in america is going to lead to a significant change in both the u.s house and the u.s senate and, and relating it to this uh, mess in Kabul and uh, in Afghanistan in general, uh, I hope it is Republicans who are running the investigations in Congress uh, so that we might get to the real uh, cause, not just cause, but, but some sort of a doctrine going further in the future, how we avoid uh, this from happening. Um, I, I think that a stronger uh, America makes for a stronger, safer world. I'm concerned about what's going to happen in, yeah. in, uh, in, in the region. Uh, hey, uh, join us next Saturday when we have another great show planned for you. Until next week, this is Bruce Ash and Eb Wilkinson wishing all of you a very pleasant good afternoon. Uh, I wish all of our listeners, along with Eb, to pray for our country this week. Stay yep. focused. And this may be the way for a very good week to yep. write to the White House, your member of Congress, and both senators to let them know we hold them responsible for getting all of our citizens and allies home safely to America. Good day. I'm first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street it's seven acres of metal you can walk through with our people and pick out what you want it's always interesting to see what the artists have done we've done uh, actually a couple projects with the u of a engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together they had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument and we have one of those in front of the plant some really cool things come out of the scrap tucson iron and metal surplus Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Wouldn't it be great if political leaders could create that country again? Learn how to do exactly that, one family at a time with Imus Wilkinson Investment Management. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, imuswilkinson.com, 777-1911, 777-1911.